Hello everybody, Mr. Wilson here with a special announcement. Episodes 17 and 18 of Game Master Speakeasy were recorded in a new location with a new audio setup. As such, there are a few hiccups in this audio. We are still learning what we need to do and how to do it. Uh, but until then, we ask that you please bear with us in this time of transition. Thank you, and I hope you enjoy the episode. Bye-bye. What's the password? <laughs> Welcome to the Game Master Speakeasy. Brought to you by the record button. Hello and welcome to the Game Masters Speakeasy. Right as the name implies, we are Game Masters. And even if you're not a Game Master, you just have a fleeting interest in tabletop role-playing games, or maybe you're a player, you are all welcome to come in off the street, take a seat near the ever-burning hearth, grab a uh, an age-appropriate drink for yourself from today's bartender, Lilac, and uh, get situated as... Uh, my, first of all, my name's Cody... I'm Lance. We are going to talk about tabletop role-playing games, which is something that we can never seem to shut up about and have been doing for a really long time, and will probably be doing it in the retirement home. Well, I mean, if they showed up to listen to the podcast, especially if they've listened to the other ones, they're not tired of hearing us talk about it yet. So. No, well, not yet. <laughs> All things are possible. <laughs> we hope not. But anyways, welcome, come in, get comfortable. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, some more action-oriented things in the main topic. But first, uh, news. Not necessarily uh, news to you. may not be new on the date that this episode mm -hmm. comes out, but it was new at some point. It may not be new, but it is news. Yeah, exactly. Uh, first of all, Stranger Things Season 4 is out. Uh, this is related to D&D &D because, because, you know, Stranger Things had D&D &D featured right in the first episode. Yeah, for sure. They're, um, the whole season isn't out yet. Correct. Actually, uh, coincidentally, uh, last I checked, the last two episodes will be coming out the day this airs. So if you are listening to this podcast and they haven't delayed it, episodes eight and nine of yep. of the Stranger Things will, will be out today. We've, and episode nine is like two and a half hours. Yeah, we've watched all the way through episode six. I'm not quite, so we get seven left and then we have to wait. Okay, I am only up through episode uh, four. Four, I think. Uh, the one that's entitled Dear Billy. Okay. Yep. I am, uh, because I am old, I really love 80s cheese. And oh, that show gosh. is so, so much 80s cheese. Okay, did you read Ready Player One? No. Okay, well then you should probably read Ready Player One. <laughs> Don't watch the movie, but... A lot of 80s cheese going on the, there, too. It's basically a book dedicated to 80s cheese all right is in your terms and definitions here it is not even it's there's kind of there's a plot right but the book is created to basically just, celebrate 80s culture it's just a nostalgia gasm it's an essentially that is already player one I'm, i have I'm a copy never mad about that i'll let you borrow it <laughs> Um, so that's how it's been. I, like I said, I'm only up through episode four. It's been really good lately. I was kind of worried that after the delay and, uh, cause you know, COVID and we've, yeah. been, we've been waiting a while for season four and I was afraid that it just wouldn't live up to the hype. Uh, and it is it's, exceeding it's, my expectations. It's doing well. I also like, 
Without giving any details about this season's big bad, how do you feel about the big bad? I, I like them, and I like how the running theme is is always a reference to something in Dungeons & Dragons. Exactly, which is another reason Stranger <laughs> Things applies. Yes, another yes. reason we can talk about it. Yeah, so if you haven't watched Stranger Things Season 4, get started. Uh, the, the main bad dude is, once again, a reference to a classic Dungeons mm -hmm. & Dragons baddie. Uh, but yeah, it's really good, and I'm excited to finish it. I'm watching it with my significant other. Uh, we, you know, like one episode every night or every other night. Me, the wife, and the son started watching it while we were on uh, on vacation. Yeah. Um, and I was the only one that lit up during like the D and D scene really early on when oh, they yeah, named. Yeah. You were like so excited. I'm not gonna spoil it, like, oh. but when they named the big bad in the D and D scene, that they have also then named the big bad in the show after. It's it's like I knew that name and I <laughs> yeah. lit up and you know my wife didn't get it and my kid didn't really. It get went it. over both of their yeah, heads. Yeah, but I was like, but... Ooh, look what they're doing. It's uh, <laughs> it's it's kind of like that um, that meme from that scene in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood where he's like he snaps his fingers and points at the TV like oh. Oh, there it is. There I am. <laughs> it's kind of that similar yeah. feeling. You're like, oh, there's my thing. There's tabletop that's games. That's pretty much it, yeah. Oh, I love that. All right, so uh, that's pretty good. Uh, the next thing on the news is, well, I mean, we talked about Warhammer Fest before, but more and more details have been coming out about uh, Horus Heresy's new edition. Mm -hmm. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, then that means you're unfamiliar with Warhammer 40K. Maybe you don't give a crap about 40K. It's Maybe it's just a little too grim, dark, macho bullcrap. That's, I'm, I'm, that's fine. It's not everybody's cup of tea. But I should iterate that uh, I... Uh, well... Lance is a huge fan of the lore, having read most of the books yeah, I, that I'm, take place in the Horus Heresy. I have both the paper copies and the audiobook versions of almost all of the Horus Heresy series. Like, all of that content I have. Some of the writers are better than others, but most of the stuff that they're putting out is just absolutely fantastic. Oh, yeah. And there's uh, the, the models for the Primarchs are really cool. And really expensive. Well, I mean, it's, it's Games Workshop. <laughs> I know. So, of course, what do you expect? And yet, uh, still no Astra Militarum Codex for 9th edition. There, most of the other armies have their Codex released, but Imperial Guard is still left high and dry. I mean, they're really just bullet sponges anyway. I, th I think what actually is going to happen is we're going to see new models come out later oh. this year, and that's when the Codex will drop. But not super important, because neither of us play 40k. I just wish I did. It's just, <laughs> it doesn't fit into the Lego puzzle that is all my other hobbies. Yeah, scheduling's hard. But you know what I can fit in? I'm going to start playing with my buddy, uh, Warhammer 40k Kill Team which is kind of directly related to today's main topic because I, well, first of all, uh, unrelated to the topic is that it's a lot lower model count. You know, if you play Imperial Guard on the table, you're going to be fielding a ton of models that you have to get assembled and painted. I'm going to play Kill Team, which if you're playing uh, the Adeptus Custodies, which are the the Emperor's mm -hmm. personal guard, essentially, uh, you can have such an elite army that you paint four models, and that's your whole oh, kill. Yeah, the, that's your whole kill team. Those guys are absolute yeah. death machines. They have like though. 18 or 21 wounds or yeah, something, yeah. where uh, each of my guardsmen only have uh, seven wounds, mm -hmm. each wounds being essentially hit points. Um, but I'm going to start... Uh, getting into Kill Team very soon with my good buddy uh, Leland, and uh, we well for another hobby that I'm going to start up, uh, and because this is also tied into today's main topic, kind of its own hobby, 
you know, we've got 3D printing, which is, which is a subset of its own hobby. Mm-hmm. You've got uh, painting minis, which is its own hobby. You've got terrain building, which is adjacent, but is technically its own hobby. Because each of these things requires different equipment. Yep. That's kind of why different I... Different skill sets. Different skill sets, different equipment. That's why they are related, but different hobbies. Um, I'm going to play Kill Team. I'm going to run Veteran Guardsmen. And there is... Uh, open play, which is you can just do whatever the heck you want. There is match play, which is the very like competitive uh, type of kill team where you know we start symmetrical map mostly. Mm-hmm. But I'm more interested in playing narrative play, where you kind of tell a story okay. as you're playing the skirmish war game. And in the newest box set for kill team, that uh, I, I honestly don't remember what it's called, but it features kind of a uh, traitor guardsman versus uh, some space marines. Okay. They were they were blue boys. They were ultramarines on the box. But this new release, uh, which I think was announced, uh, if if I'm not mistaken, at Warhammer Fest, I think is when they kind of like made the drop. Could be wrong. Doesn't I don't care. The important part is they're introducing an like an optional narrative sentry phase where there's you've got you generally an attacker and a defender in kill team, mm-hmm. and they have this new sentry phase where you pick a few key operatives to be if the if you're the defender. They're sentries, kind of like just patrolling, you know, okay. like like NPCs in a stealth game. Mm-hmm. And if you're the attacker, you have your operatives that are trying to do like the advanced scouting. And there is kind of a pre-game uh, infiltration phase where oh. you where you roll off, and basically, uh, if you win the roll, you get to decide where the sentries move. So if you're the attacker, you might decide that, oh, this, this space marine is going to go take a, a short break over here and kind of wander <laughs> off. Uh, but so if he's I'm, not much help during right, the so actual... Right, so he's not much help. But if I, the, the defender, win this little bit of pre-initiative, I move my dudes towards your uh, first couple infiltrating operatives. Mm-hmm. And then the game, like kicks off once your uh, attacking operatives are like spotted I think is how it works okay. and then you play kill team so like you've got this optional kind of it, to help uh, advance this cool commando narrative because that's what kill team is it's about yeah. smaller teams operating in kind of shadow ops and I am also going to start terrain building as a secondary hobby to supplement kill team which is only a 30 inch by 22 inch uh, board and I plan to use this terrain building to make much more interesting, uh, once I've mastered it, uh, well, mastered, once I get competent at it, let's be real, uh, for Kill Team, I would like to start making boards for the set-piece D&D battles mm-hmm. to make that a lot more interesting. Because imagine you guys are going up against a big bad, and I plop down like a 3D foam and cardboard spray painted temple that's got to feel way more awesome right hey, come see me when you can make your own rocks out of wood <laughs> that's called a callback ladies and gents <laughs> oh anyway um that's kind of the news topics is that i'm going to get into kill team and terrain building and i am super stoked and also there are new kill team rules that even though i've not played it yet am super looking forward to using uh what, what do you got for uh RPG tabletop related things you've done um, in the last couple weeks or so. You know, between vacation and some other stuff, Sorry, I haven't been getting a lot done. You've been on the vacay. Yeah, I have actually been doing a little bit of just digging into stuff. I uh, I started really kind of digging into the, the newest version of uh, Savage Worlds. Oh, yeah, that's true. You were telling me about yeah, that. Yeah, we, we talked a little bit, we talked a little bit about it. Um, I actually started looking into the, the way that they do their licensing if, if like we were to get crazy and decide we wanted to make some settings for it how that whole thing plays out. So that's, it's really mostly been research, but I am, I'm, I'm confident, I think, um, or at least, uh, 
optimistic that the uh, the newest version of Savage Worlds is going to help fix a lot of the, the issues that we've, we've had with the previous editions. And I think part of the, the stuff with previous editions, too, is that... Uh, Misser- misinterpretation, misinterpretation of the rules. Misinterpretation of the rules, yeah. Like, when, when we start talking about the shaken rules in the game, I always took that to mean that your character was essentially stunned. Mm-hmm. Like, it was just... Oh, but it's not, is no, it? No, it's not at all. It's <laughs> not, you, you can't take any actions... Like the kind of actions, capital A, capital A actions. You can take free actions. You can move. So I mean, even if your character is shaken, you could reposition behind cover, which is not how we were playing. That is not how we were doing it. It was basically Um, a roll, or you lose a turn. Yeah, but yeah, really was, or that's how we were doing it, which is incorrect. So (laughs) that's that's not Pinnacle's fault. That's mine. Um, (laughs) And that could possibly, uh, you know, have really flavored how I feel about Savage. Well, I I do because I know you have kind of a mm, iffy uh, vibe toward it. But and then the other the other big thing I think that I'd be fi- willing to give it a second chance. Well, I think the other big thing that they fixed is it used to be to get out of shaken, like if you succeeded on your roll to get out of shaken, you were just out of shaken and you still didn't get to take your actions that turn. And right. then if you got a raise, you got your actions. The way that they changed it for the adventures edition is there is no raise result if you get out of shaken. Like yeah, if you get out of shaken, so yeah. you can you can even if you are shaken, you can move, you can take free actions, you can do any of that stuff. And on your turn, when you roll to get out of shaken, if you successfully get out of shaken, you can then immediately take your actions. It's it's become so, evident to me over time that in games that feature a lot of combat, you should really use "Hey, you lose a turn" abilities very sparingly yeah, against and, players. Well, because like I, it's just kind of anti-fun. No, I, I agree with you. And like I said, a lot of that was me misinterpreting the way that what, what shaken meant. I I mean, I've got I mean. We can touch back on this in the main topic, but I've got instances where I look back and I consider it a mistake as a game master for there are multiple times where Dan's character, being the one that he usually rushes in, he's, Dan's characters will usually rush headlong into the fray fearlessly, you want and then home? they are the ones that get a held person. Yeah. Which in 5th edition just sucks, right? Yeah. It's like, <laughs> You're held person. That's that's it, curtains, man. Yeah, that's it. Well, welcome to not playing the game essentially mm-hmm. you know if you've got a big D D group and your combat takes 20 minutes to get for, for you know all the way back around yeah and you're through the combat, you spend three of your turns now you're not getting to do anything for 40 minutes yeah right mm-hmm. it's, no, a, it's, it's a very I, unfortunate uh, thing. i agree it's it's one thing to limit a player's actions because of because of an ability that's designed to hamstring them a little bit like stunned one or slow yeah. one in mm-hmm. pathfinder yep you know, you well, still and, get two of your three actions. That's something that I'm building into our game, too. Right. And is it's, that it's the, the, limited, but the not... stun system removes one action point from your total. Right. Up to, I think, two levels of it. So, okay. I mean, you still get actions. It's just limits how much of it you can do. Which I think is, um, you know, it's good. It's, it's a good, good middle ground. Because, yeah. like you said, if, you're take, if it takes, you know, for a group 15, 20 minutes to get through a, an entire combat round, and you spend three rounds of combat stunned... Congratulations! You just spectated your game for an hour. Oh yeah, great. Which is, it's not where you want to be. I mean, if, if you're gonna show up to game night, you want to play a little bit. Yeah, and your game, you know, game night, you know, three to I'd say three to five hours average, mm-hmm. somewhere in there. Yeah, and that's a significant portion of you just mm-hmm. spectating. But you know, I mean, that's the nice thing I guess about us kind of working on a game is we can take these things from other systems that we didn't like. Heavy inspiration. And yeah. say, okay, because I mean, you know, one of the one of the best bosses I ever had in my life. You know, the guy. He said he learned more from watching other managers be bad at their jobs than he ever learned from watching the good ones be good at theirs. Okay. Because you learn what not to do. That's fair. Yeah, that's, you can 
you can learn from your own mistakes, or you can learn from other people's yep. mistakes. So, I mean, in, in this case, you know, if we're going to develop a game, we need to look at the other games we play and say, these are things we didn't like. Oh, let's yeah. just not do that. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, let's see. I, as previously mentioned, am getting into Kill Team, so I've been doing some... Uh, I've been doing some model preparation and reading rules. And also, for our project, I, I'm i not done with the crafting system, but I was really excited to get started on the settlement rules, so mm -hmm. that's what I did. I started working up a, like a pre-mock-up for settlement rules because they're kind of mixed in. Yeah. Uh, and like the crafting system, uh, which I want to be broad but still fairly light mm -hmm. means that it encompasses multiple it, it infects its tendrils into other bits of the game but it doesn't take 40 minutes to resolve exactly yeah. <laughs> we don't want that yeah it doesn't take 40 minutes to resolve um but you know if you've got a crafting system that means you have to work it into the game's economy if you mm -hmm. have a settlement system and you've got people in the settlement that can craft that now that's involved with the crafting system and involved with the economy it all becomes uh, a very tangled ball of if gear twine. yeah if gear is part of the progression system now and gear takes resources and crafting now gear progression uh, settlement, settlement no. <laughs> rules crafting rules economy all these five mm -hmm. things are now kind of roped together so you got it's an umbrella project it's a bag of snakes it's, you gotta untangle it i don't know that i've ever heard that before a bag of snakes yes i love it that sounds like an, a wonderful uh, gift. Uh, no, a, a gift. That's a. That's a, for who? Your enemies? Yes. <laughs> it's funny. Uh, I actually received a box of snakes once. They were plastic. Well, I mean, that's better than the real ones, probably. Yeah, at the, at the nearby like kids science center, there was a raffle to name their new snake. Mm -hmm. It was a bull snake, and they drew. Uh, the name that I submitted when I was like 10 years old. So they shipped us like a box of snake paraphernalia, <laughs> including just some rubber snakes, like snake uh, pencil cap erasers. You named like our snake. You yeah. must be a snake enthusiast. Yeah, it was, uh, Here's it some was... snake stuff. <laughs> yeah, essentially, it was a bull snake, and my, the name we submitted was Bully the Kid. <laughs> That's kind of clever. Yeah, I, I've, I've been starting, you know, I trained in dad jokes from a young age. Um <laughs> uh, but, yeah, it's kind of a long, big project. It's a, you, I bounce around, and that's fine, as long as I'm working on it, right? As long as you're doing something. Yep. All right, let's talk about what the bartender served us today. What are we drinking? Uh, oh. Today's, like I said, today's bartender's name is Lilac, and Lilac served us a lager. Yeah. But is, unsurprisingly, yeah, there's coffee in it. Yeah, it's, it's almost like I picked it. We, <laughs> I'm going to I'm gonna have to go out and get some... Uh, next thing you know, I'm going to start bringing IPAs, and I don't even like IPAs mostly. You know what? I'm okay with that. I mean, I'm hit or miss with IPAs, but there's not too many beers I won't drink. This is from Exile Brewing. Yeah. Um, they have a beer that they make called Ruthie, which is one of their flagship products. Yeah, it's, this... it's, it's the one where the woman is holding the... Uh, glasses on her bosom and then pouring into them. That is that, accurate, that's the yes. Art, that's the actual artwork on the label. Mm -hmm. And this is a variant of that called, uh, it's the coffee Ruthie, I guess. It's just a, that's the Ruthie lager with coffee. Which most people that know me might find this weird because I don't actually like coffee, but I like coffee in my beer. Like, not actually pouring coffee in my beer, but beers that are flavored with coffee are some of my favorite beers. I don't know why that... I mean, I'm also that way with barrel-aged beers. I don't drink a lot of whiskey, but I like beer aged in whiskey barrels. I don't make sense. It's fine. I'm a little crazy. I but, feel like I've figured it out. Okay. We, we've been having sips of this before. He, he uh, found a flavor in the profile that I, he couldn't I, identify. I don't know if there's something wrong with my genetics or my tongue, or maybe, maybe it's just this bottle of beer that I'm holding. Maybe yours is fine and mine's 
uh, skunked or something. But when I take a sip of this, and I kind of, like, try to actually identify the flavors. Well, before I say this, how do you feel about this as far as a coffee beer goes? I mean, we just had one in the last episode, the New Glarus, right? Mm-hmm. I think is what it was, New Glarus Coffee Stout. Um, how is this lager with coffee hold I, up? I mean, it's no stout, but as far as lagers with coffee go, I actually really like this beer. Um, it is, I, I think it's a good kind of light coffee beer. Okay. I know we kind of said that about the last one as far as as far as that goes. It's, it's pretty mild for a stout. But, I mean, as far as, like, lagers go, I mean, throwing a little coffee flavor in a lager never hurt my feelings at all. Okay, you're going to look at me really weird when I say this, but the aftertaste reminds me of jalapenos. All right, now he's going in for a swig. Are you getting any of it? Yeah, now that you mention it, it does. Okay, so I'm not crazy. It does have a little little weird weird at the tail end of it. Yeah, there's there's something at the tail end that kind of tastes a little spicy, right? Like yeah, like the and I I was sitting here thinking it's got to be it's peppery, right? There's Mm -hmm. some sort of peppery flavor at the end of this, and it kind of reminds me of jalapenos. Okay, yeah, Yeah. that's uh, and I don't know why. (laughs) I don't know if maybe maybe they did that on purpose, but. I like it, but I mean, it, it, it threw me for or, a loop. Or, or maybe it's a side effect of something else that went into the beer that yeah, just kind of gives you the same same vibe. But no, I, I, I enjoy it. I mean, I don't enjoy it as much as my stouts. But well, it's even Well, here's the thing. It's even lighter than the yeah, coffee stout, so you could you well, could sit here and, and drink these. As, as a testament to it, my wife really enjoys it. She oh, likes yeah. coffee, and she tends to gravitate toward the lighter beers, where oh, yeah. I tend to drink a lot of the heavier beers. And uh, she's she's a big fan of this, so... So I guess kudos to Jared because he gave me the first couple of bottles that he had his or a couple of bottles that he had at his house. Oh yeah, yeah he had me true. bring them home so Sarah could try it. And me and her both drank it and enjoyed it, and I've been buying it when I find it ever since. So yeah, I like it. It just it's just that weird aftertaste kind of threw <laughs> me for a loop there. Well, I think it was more because you were trying to figure out what it reminded you of, and now that you've got it figured out, it's like, well, well it's not a flavor I expect from yeah. my coffee unless it's uh, advertised on it. Dude, we uh, I don't think they had it when we went to Pivo last time, but. Uh, the first time we went there, yeah, they yeah. had a, I think it was like a Chipotle ale or something. It literally like was a spicy beer. Oh, it was right. weird, but it was actually really good. I would, I would gladly drink that. Well, I mean, I'll go back to Pivo if you want to take the road trip. I'm yeah, not mad about it. Yeah, be totally That's down for that. Maybe one of my favorite breweries to go to. All right. So while you are enjoying an exile, the uh, Ruthie co- lager with coffee, we can talk about combat in tabletop role-playing games all things combat but i want to hear about interesting combat because there is combat right like there's rolling combat is just resolved with dice rolls i mean it can be as bland or as exciting as you want it to be exactly and generally we want it to be assuming you're not just you know killing a random encounter of five goblins on the road Mm -hmm. you want it to be interesting yeah Uh, so my first question what is one of the most memorable memorable combats that you can think of in all of your entire role-playing game history? Whether it be from a player's perspective um, or a DM's perspective. I don't want to steer you towards one, but I've got one I'm expecting you to say. Having known that there are certain stories you've told me mul- or told people multiple times, I've got a guess uh, all right. at the one you'll say. But... Scorpion versus the Cyber Zombie. Yeah, that's exactly that's it. That's, okay. that's the one. So, I think you might have even like summarized this yeah, we'll, before on the podcast. We'll dig but a go little, ahead and we'll dig a little into detail. So, this was a Shadowrun campaign. Do you remember which edition? Uh, was this third? I think third. I okay. think that was we were running third. And this was um, partially hacked from, I believe, a book adventure. Okay. 
I didn't read the book Adventure Verbatim. I very rarely do that anymore. Like, I'm to the point What was now it? It was Scorpion versus a what? Cyber Zombie. Cyber I'll explain zombie. what those are here okay, in a minute. Yeah, thank you. Um, and they were sent to steal a prototype cyber skull from Renraku. Okay. Renraku being one of the major mega corporations. Yeah, a, yeah Cyberpunk mega Renraku's um, hit squads, their like, like high threat response team, yeah. are called the Red Samurai. And they are pretty legendary badasses as far as Shadowrun enemies go. Um, so they had acquired the skull, and they were en route to transport it where it was going. They ended up getting ambushed by a group of Red Samurai. And as combat started, out of the back of the van that the Red Samurai had brought with them, out of the back of it was actually more small APC, it opens up and a cyber zombie steps out. Now, cyber zombies are kind of a catch-all term in Shadowrun. In Shadowrun... You have an essence rating. It's kind of oh, the, right. the, the way your spirit is attached to your body. The quickest version is you're such a cyborg that you're not even human anymore. Well, yeah. Right? What what they do is because Shadowrun also has a magical element to it. Yeah, yeah. It's, so it's a fantasy cyberpunk. Yeah. Set. As a as a player, you can run your essence down, and as long as it doesn't hit absolute zero or below, you will stay alive. You, under so, you norm- essentially still have a soul. Well, under right? normal circumstances, if a character hits zero essence, they die. Oh, okay. Their their spirit just gives up the body. It's like there's not enough meat here left to right. like. Well, I, welcome, hand over your character sheet. Now it's an NPC. It's, no, no, they're dead. Oh, they're dead. They, they dead. just die. Okay. Um, there is a process that combines blood magic and oh, cyber surgery gotcha. that basically some, traps the spirit in the body. This is some behind the screen black hat PCs. Yeah, can't this, do is, this, this is this is like black site corporate like Delta Clinic level stuff. Where they will take a, a guy, and this is a very expensive prospect for the, the corporations. So they don't make a lot of these. Um, but yeah, basically they, they use blood magic to to anchor the, the essence, the, the spirit, into the physical body. So that they can jam-pack as much cyberware into it as, as physically possible. Um, way over whatever a normal limit would be. Which makes these crazy, barely, there's barely any meat left on them, kind of... It's a walking arsenal. Yeah, walking arsenals. Now, it has a lot of very negative psychological effects on the person, which is why they call them cyber zombies. They're not psychologically there. They're what barely they're, there. What they make for, as far as NPCs go, usually, is just a really good overpowered shock troop. Right. To, like, to, to make a real challenging enemy for your characters. Okay. So, Dan is playing one of his signature characters, Scorp, or Scorpion. A recurring character. A recurring character. He's, he's been remade in many of our settings, um, many of our different games, for a variety of different reasons. He was always kind of that cool anime-style badass. He, he tends you, to... You can tell he's inspired by, like, Vash the Stampede. And, and, and other characters. And other characters, yeah. He's a blend of cool uh-huh. trench coat-wearing yeah, gunmen. He, but he's, he's, he's that. Like, he's, there's a little bit of Spike Spiegel in there, and a little bit, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. as far as these characters go... Um, he was very anime-inspired character is the point. And so he's du- he dual-wields pistols and SMGs as his primary weapons, but he has also got enough cyberware and bioware jam-packed into him that he has, uh, I would say he's about one and a half times the, the maximum human unmodified strength, typically. Um, same thing with speed. Dude moves real, real, real quick. Well, he's shooting heavy pistol rounds at this cyber zombie when combat starts, and it's just ricocheting off the thing's armor. Oh, yeah, just bounce. It can't penetrate its can't armor. Can't penetrate the armor. And so Dan 
in what I thought was obviously going to be a suicide attempt. Right. He's like, I'm going to drop my pistols, I'm going to pull out my knives, and I'm going to charge this thing. That's very Dan. It's very Dan. To, to when things are going frustratingly to kind of throw just, a Hail Mary. Just double downs, <laughs> doubles yeah. down He double, d- doubles down on his hard 17, throws a Hail Mary. And hopes that it goes. F it. He gives it the F it adjustment. Yeah, no, he really does. And so he does this. And it turns out that Scorpion is physically strong enough to actually penetrate this thing with these ni- this knife blade. So he is now dual-wielding knives, charging across the battlefield. And the imagery and the way that I describe this is he basically jumps up on this oversized mechanical pseudo-human cyborg thing. And just dagger thing. jams these, these combat knives into the thing. And he actually was doing damage. So he basically proceeded to take this thing apart in melee. Yeah. That's that's he, kind of that's solo uh, my cyber zombie in the original Ghost in the Shell movie when uh, the when the um, the main character uh, basically tries to rip a tank yeah. hatch uh-huh. open with her bare mechanical that arms. Exa- now, admittedly, this was this was in my younger GMing days, and we were watching a lot of anime. Oh, so gosh, maybe yeah. that paints the picture in my head of how this went down. But that's exactly like that, that Ghost in the Shell you thing. You're like, yes, watching this. This main character of, you know, one of the main characters of our, our game taking down this this powerful, difficult NPC in such a spectacular fashion. I don't I don't think I, that, that'll definitely be one of the, the gaming moments that, I mean, Cody's heard the story enough times. He can tell you. I, I don't forget about this one. No, no. This is this is usually a go to story. Yeah. Um, so this is a memorable moment. Uh, why do you think I would say that this memorable moment exists because it was a dramatic decision by the player it had a positive outcome and uh, there was a lot of rule of cool it It was dipped into it 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 was tossed in the sauce of rule of cool and I was going to say and it made him feel like a badass that's true it made the player and his character feel, feel like, like a badass. And, and you, you want to give that to your players every now and again. Give you want to facilitate their ability to achieve it. Yeah. yeah you don't want to hand no, it to No, but what I mean is you want to take something they're doing, describe it in the most badass way possible. Yeah, so n- number one is a badass player character moment. That's yeah. how. That's one thing to make a combat interesting. But what about, uh, what are some of your least favorite combats that you can remember? Um, Whether it be an even, don't, you can even, uh, Say one of my games. I know we've had hit or miss combats. They can't all be zingers, as Primus says. <laughs> so what have you got? Um, let's see. What's the most mundane, I wish I wasn't here right now, I'd rather be playing video games kind of tabletop combat that you can recall? I don't know that there's very too many moments that I would have passed up game in like tabletop to go play video games. Um, I think one of the worst combat moments we had, and it wasn't really it wasn't really something that affected me, and I wasn't game mastering it. It was actually your first game session. Oh yeah, I felt just terrible, yeah. like because, and like, this kind of comes back to, to something we've mentioned before about the concept of stunning abilities. Yeah. in games, but this was a this was a hell on earth moment. So the the Deadlands classic system in the hell on earth setting. Um. Basically, my character was stunned for yeah the, at least an hour of real time. The yeah the the bleeding and squealing rolls. Yep. The vigor check. That we you we have, have talked about this yeah, before. I the, think this story. You have to take the day. Yeah, you have to you have to make the roll. Long story short, uh, I got my character got shot in the ass and could not get over the pain of it and was just flailing on the ground. And honestly, I think the um, 
the glamour of it being my first uh, tabletop session in a really long time. My first, like, I'm going to be part of an ongoing campaign. Mm -hmm. This is my first session. Uh, and because everything else that was happening around me was pretty cinematic, yeah. at least. You know, it wasn't It wasn't that I... Uh, it was just the dice. It was the dice's mm -hmm. fault. Yeah, you, you could imagine the scene. You yeah. could imagine the, the gunfight. Was it an old amusement park we were doing that Yeah, at? it was in an old amusement park. Yeah, there was, there was gunfire being exchanged between, well, mine and, mine and Dan's characters and the NPCs. And then poor Cody. <laughs> I, I honestly think that if it happened to me again, I would get bored. Yeah. Because, it, you know, now I've been playing for... Mm -hmm. You know, over God, it's eight years I've been involved in tabletop role-playing games uh, in some capacity because it is now 2022. Started in 2014. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, oh, well, coming up sounds on right. eight years, but yeah. So now I think I would get bored uh, at least a little. Mm -hmm. You know, stunned and not being able to hear. You lose a turn. You lose a turn. You lose a turn. Uh, so that is you know something that you can do to avoid having your players get bored is try not to stun them too hard. Yep. Uh, now, in terms of what you just mentioned before, you talked about describing the scene. And I think that is one of the, it's kind of a, a Swiss cheese effect. Like, you know, every every slice of Swiss cheese has holes in it. But if you layer enough of them on top of each other, it's then you can solve a problem. Yeah. Right? It's, it's got multiple solutions, not one of them. You can't just pick out one and have it work. Mm -hmm. It's a combination of things. Uh, so from interesting combats... I think the first slice of cheese is uh, descriptions. Yeah. Yeah, because uh, my buddy who I play war games with, he was expressing an interest in trying, like, D&D &D and tabletop games again because he told me he had a poor first experience where he was playing, and it was just, uh, I rather than having drama in the combat, it was one of those, uh, I want to attack that guy, I roll my d20, I miss. Yeah. Right. There's no, there was no flavor. Yeah. Involved. Or you roll it and you hit and you roll damage and nothing gets described. Yeah. It's just, like, it's very, it's at that point you're playing a war game when you know you're there for something more interesting. Yeah. Uh, it's a very, from what I understand, uh, much older style of D and D. Because back when D and D first came out, it was kind of more. It was of more a, of a war game. It was more of a war game slash board game mm -hmm. because it was it was mostly played in dungeons. These days, it's like. Oh, we got to save the princess. Yeah, we got a whole not, world to play in. Not that that stuff didn't happen, but I think the ratio of the focus, uh, uh, based on what I have heard and read about old D and D, is that we have had a paradigm shift mm -hmm. in the last you know, decade and a half, two it, decades, where it's becoming more and more focused on narrative and story. That's why the powered by the apocalypse system exists. Uh, things like Dungeon World. Um, and others in that that fit that vein. I mean, we've never, we haven't touched them yet. I, no. I, they're, they're very much these are. There's a bunch of powered by the apocalypse uh, systems that are on deck. Yeah. Right. They're like, oh, we got to try these, and they're 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 very high in the queue, but we just haven't gotten around to it yet. Well, I think I think that we what we've seen really is a shift between role playing R O L L. Yeah. And role playing R O L E. Yeah. You know where where and it's apt. And, and I think that, you know, to, to discuss, you know, what Leland said about it is if all you're doing is rolling the dice yep. and then seeing the results of that without being given a narrative, without, without the attacks being described, without the damage to the enemy being described, 
then it is more of a video game. I mean, for anybody that played the old, old school Final Fantasy games, oh, yeah. where you hit the fight button, they step forward a half an inch on the screen, they swing their sword, and then you see numbers appear above the enemies. If that's all your tabletop is, yeah, some people are going to get bored with that. Oh, yeah. and it, But here's the thing. It's really easy to fall into that mm -hmm. because... Generally, people play video games before yeah. they play role, tabletop yeah. role-playing games. I, I, well, maybe in the new generation, that might not be true because it's become so popular. But at least in our oh, yeah, generation, I, I was we were I exposed to Final Fantasy mm -hmm. first. Yep. And D&D is a turn-based tactical... Mm -hmm. when, you're, when you're in combat, it's, a, it's almost exactly like that. Because when you get into combat... It, the the battle music plays the battle music. and suddenly you're switching game modes. <laughs> yep, you're taking you're going, turns. Everybody's you're, determining their actions. Yeah, and, the story takes a stop and the you're running through the grass and a wild caterpie appears. Right, <laughs> everything has to stop and now we're all turn based and, and it's almost a different experience. That's why um, that's why I like certain systems. Uh, we have not for you guys. It's lucky we have not gotten into combat in Call of Cthulhu yet. Yeah, but when you do, the, def <laughs> the default rules, you don't, uh, there is an option for it, but in the default rules, you don't roll for initiative. It's just whoever has the highest decks goes mm -hmm. first. And that way, you it's can... So you similar don't... to the chase rules in that way. Exactly. Very okay. similar to the chase rules, because you can have a chase and a combat going on simultaneously. Mm -hmm. um, but I like uh, systems like that. Shadow of the Demon Lord kind of facilitates that. Lancer also facilitates it because uh, these initiative systems where there's no rolling involved, you can go straight into the combat and you don't have to pause for three minutes where everyone rolls their dice. You record the outcome. Down. You got to roll for the 10 baddies you have on the board. Uh, I like that there are systems in place for certain games where you don't have to play the battle music, so to speak. Uh -huh. You know? Um, so I think that uh, that is, if you as a game master or a player uh, want to have more cinematic things happen, um, that's something to look at is when a battle happens, avoid rolling initiative. Mm -hmm. Now, there are games where rolling quickness or rolling initiative is a stat that you invest in. Mm -hmm. So in those situations, I am more hesitant to tell you to avoid it because if you're... That's like in Deadlands, I designed James to be quick, mm -hmm. right? So he's rolling 4d12 quickness. Throwing initiative out would have been punishing you. Exactly. Mm -hmm. It would have been punishing my character investment. Well, and I think, I think a lot of that depends on the system, too. Yeah, absolutely. I mean... Some systems are by design more narrative than tactical. Oh, yeah. So you've got this whole, uh, this is definitely a war game versus this is definitely about storytelling when it comes to comparing systems. Mm -hmm. So that might be actually rule number one when trying to come up with interesting combat is are you using the wrong system? Period. That's true. That is very true. Because if, if you are going for a more cinematic system yeah then your combat doesn't have to be as rigidly gaining yeah it's kind of like uh if you're trying to screw on a bolt and you've got the right size wrenched but you also have access to a a, a ratcheting socket wrench which is the better tool for the job yeah. which is more convenient for you right mm -hmm. and so i would run with the system that has a better fit for the flavor you're trying to achieve well you know it's, it's funny that you mentioned that because i've talked about you know, at some point, maybe going back and doing a little bit of Deadlands Classic again. Oh, yeah. Just with a smaller group, like two players, maybe. Two, three, maybe three. Maybe three. But that's the thing is I would want to run a more cinematic campaign with that. Oh, yeah. And 
that would almost be encouraged. Well, I don't want to throw the whole system out because I, I do like the system, but I mean, like the combat system in that game is, is a little more gamey. You too. just got you just got to tweak it and hack it a bit. Yeah, I'll have to work on that. But. As game masters, you can also be designers. When you yeah. if you'd like if if you're playing in your home game and you don't like a house rule, throw it out. Or, or sorry, if you want to make a house rule, implement it. If you don't like a book rule, throw it out. As long as your players know what to expect, they're probably going to be okay with it. Right? Yeah, for sure. You've got, uh, I think, uh, something that I'm going to try and do to facilitate more interesting combat, which uh, I think is one of the biggest problems. Don't get me wrong. I know that our fantasy game has been running for literally years now, off and on. <laughs> so I think there's a little, little bit of just campaign fatigue there. Yeah. But I think it would help to keep people interested if I took a more free-flowing approach to describing combat. Uh, right now... And this is partially my fault, and it's going to be hard to break the group's uh, habits because we've been playing 5e a little bit more wargamey. Don't get me wrong, I still want to use miniatures. I want to use the grid. But I want to get away from uh, being so strict with the rules. And this is something we talked about in a previous episode where Moose was running a, running a game, and he's more fast and loose with the combat rules. And I think it, I think it creates an environment in which a more interesting combat narrative can flourish mm -hmm. where you uh, use the game's mechanics in a way that the rules don't say to, to, to make the players feel like they're accomplishing things and make your descriptions feel real. Like how often have I described you slaying uh, like a goblin and the other goblins cowering in fear, right? It's like that's a very a pretty common thing. Like, oh, Ooh. you you cleave through the neck of the orc, and the other orcs take a step back. What if I gave those orcs a little bit a of a penalty, like a, a penalty or something? Fear, fear one. Yeah, this is a, this is something that um, that other games tell you to do. Mm -hmm. uh, this is something that I uh, I was reading through Dungeon World's book essentially, and it basically tells you to use the system to reinforce the narrative. See, and that's one of the things. I'm, I'm, you know, we're if you've never. Even if you never play Dungeon World, it has a lot of good advice. Mm -hmm. Kind of like how if you never play uh, Worlds Without Number or Stars Without Number, it has a lot of good game mastering advice. So you should read through those sections just to help your improve your game. Mm -hmm. Sorry, continue. Well, no, and this is this is something that you, that you brought it up that the newest edition of Savage Worlds did a little bit of. Um, when it comes to combat and modifiers, they have drilled back a lot of the modifiers, and they just basically have a small GM section in there that says that you can just apply a minus one through minus four situational modifier as oh, needed. Oh, there you go. That's like, awesome. So as a GM, you could just say, okay, you are doing something that I consider to be very, very difficult. You know, you just the player says, well, I'd like to do this. Okay, you can, but this isn't going to be easy. Here's your minus four. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Or if, I mean, you could even apply a positive modifier, too, if they wanted to do something that was easier or, you know what I or mean? Particularly cool or particularly or cool. Particularly cool. You know, when you talk about Moose and this kind of fast and loose GM style, it was like when, when the, the, the dragon we were fighting was hiding up in the tree. So my fighter, in two swoops or two swings with his axe, dropped to the tree and the dragon along with it because he was hiding up in the tree. Yeah, in the you branches. Know, rules is written. That's not an easy thing for you to kind of figure out as a GM. It's right. Not, it's not explicitly written in there. 
you have to be willing to fly by the seat of your pants yeah. if you don't know a rule. You got to make it up on the spot. And I enjoyed it. Jared yeah. didn't seem to think I should be able to cut through the tree in two well, days. Well, we were level like fifteen <laughs> I know. or something. You pointed that out to him. Yeah, it's like in in Pathfinder level fifteen is when you start getting yeah, legendary I skill level. I can Kool Aid myself myself through a wooden wall and nobody can stop me because a I person got with catfall and legendary acrobatics can survive any fall yep. distance. I have period. Looked, I have seen Full that. Stop. High level <laughs> Pathfinder two is very heroic. Drop that dude from orbit. Yeah, <laughs> it's exactly. It's a superhero landing. <laughs> uh, so I will hearken back to one of the things. I think I mentioned this as one of my mistakes. And I think we might have talked about this in my mistakes episode um, or another episode where you guys were fighting the younger black dragon on a mountaintop mm -hmm. and Dan wanted to get on its back like a horse. Yep. But because D&D &D 5e's rules, it's only one size bigger. Uh, rules is written. It should not be a climbable creature. Mm -hmm. Even with the optional rules, it's just a grabbable creature. But I should have let him climb that monster if he wanted. Because why not? It would have been cool. It would have been cool. Wouldn't have really affected the difficulty of combat at all. Right. And this is definitely a personal flaw of mm -hmm. mine. I've, I've been someone who is more, I have read the rules, I know the rules, and I'm going to try and keep that cage of the rules uh, in place. And it's, it's a... Uh, it's honestly a mistake, and it's something I want to work on, and I want to try to break the habits of the group because now everyone's used to playing like that. Mm -hmm. So don't uh, be a slave to the rules, kids. Yeah, don't be. Yeah, don't be chained down by the rules. Let you got to let your players fly free a little bit if you want to make combat particularly interesting. If you do this, you can make even your mundane goblin encounters a little more exciting. Mm -hmm. Uh, is at least that's my hypothesis that I'm planning to test. You know, when we when I was living back at the duplex, I had that sign up there that said, uh, "Don't like up on the wall that said, don't be limited by the rules. Your imagination is the limit, or whatever." Mm -hmm. But at the time, it was bullcrap, right? <laughs> because I was still you, you wanted to implement it, but you couldn't get to, yourself far enough away from the rules yeah. to do it. And I find myself as uh, time proceeds to march on forward and I get a little bit older and get more experience and I hear advice from other people online or through existing books you know the people that have made uh, other RPGs tend to have more experience in this hobby than me because mm -hmm. I have been GMing since uh, 2017 and even though I took to it like uh, crumbs to butter you know, like when you scrape toast. You know, yeah, what I, I, you I, know what I'm telling you. Got it. Yeah, uh, I get that. I get that. I get that. <laughs> uh, even though I took to it, there's still there's still a lot of improvement to be done, and that's the same to be said in really any hobby. Uh, don't try to compare yourself to other people. Compare yourself to your previous self. Yep. And try to be better than that. So I'm gonna I'm gonna try and get the group to be more descriptive, because um, that's what Call of Cthulhu, mm -hmm. right in the advice, tells both the players and the game master to do. Never refer to what your character does in mechanical system terms. Mm -hmm. You should never say, I want, like, uh, you never, you should never say, I want to roll psychology. You should say, can I pick up on his body language as I keep a keen eye out for his subtle body, like subtle clues. And then I tell you to roll psychology. Well, you know, and the thing is, I honestly think, and this is, this is from my experience as both a player and, and as GM, I think it is easier to do that the less you know about the system it's honestly true like yeah. as soon as as a player you have learned pathfinders combat rules in and out it becomes very difficult to describe your actions not using the mechanical rules 
Oh yeah, because because you, you know you you know, you, you know what you know what's going to work. First they're of they're all, capitalized, you, right? Yeah. They're in the book. Uh-huh. I would like to strike him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Well, how are you going to try to strike yeah. him? So. It's, you know, instead of, instead it's easy of, to get away yeah. from the description. Instead of describing a flourish and the way that you're swinging your sword, you know, at to attack him, you're just like, I want to attack. And then we get back to that Final Fantasy two hitting the fight button, the, the sword exactly. swinging and the numbers appearing over the enemy's head, which, you know, is, is not the most exciting or the best way to handle combat. If you can find a way to do the descriptions, which I think as a GM, sometimes that, that leads it up to you to pick up the slack. If they say, I want to strike, and you let them roll and they strike, then describe how the hit happened. Oh, yeah. Describe how you saw it in your head. Because if they're not describing it in great detail, then they don't care outside of the numbers. Make them care by giving them a vision. You know what I mean? Explain to them or paint the picture for them. you got to breathe life into the world yeah. using the five senses. Now, if, if you can get your players to help you breathe life into it, that's going to make your job a hell of a lot easier. Yeah, it becomes... If, if you guys are working together to describe the scenes... As they're happening in conjunction with the rules, that's awesome. But if they're not doing it, do it for them. Yeah. Some of them are going to pick up on that and are going to start taking it. And they're going to say, oh, if we can describe our cool actions, then, you know. At least, uh, if you're a player listening to this, your goal and job, if you want to help facilitate... I'm going to say that word a lot this episode. <laughs> to help facilitate uh, interesting combat is to, just like everything else in D&D... You know, when you are going to approach the window, you say, I want to slide along the bushes unnoticed. So you're then you roll to see whether you succeed or fail. Mm-hmm. I want to take my sword and slice at his shoulder. You know, rather than saying, I swing my sword at him. While we, you get in there and you say, while we are exchanging blows and parries and riposts, I want to make a, a play for his scabbard. And then you have, uh, or I want to slash at the strap that's holding the MacGuffin to his chest, right? Mm-hmm. You can come up with more interesting attempts, and then once your game master and you both understand how this more descriptive style of ooh, a little bit of little bit of thunder, yeah. Uh, once you've got this uh, descriptive dance, because it's really like an elaborate dance uh, that you hire. Uh, you know, I describe this. You roll. Now the GM describes the outcome, and you repeat that process. Basically, just don't let go of what you normally do, uh, but apply it to combat, too. And that will help keep an interesting uh, combat running. Yeah, I, mean, I, I don't think you can... Unless, unless it gets so bad that you're slowing down combat, I don't think you can ever be too descriptive. Well, that's 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 a good point. Yeah, I think I think that, um, you know... I mean, you don't, you, have to, you don't have to turn every sword swing into a 30-minute right. monologue. Yeah, but and do that when it's the la- like the sergeant of yeah. the squad well, you're you, fighting. You do that really well. When we take down the baddie, you're always like, okay, describe how you do it. Well, I mean, that's a Matt Mercer thing. I know, right? but yeah, I mean, it's, it's still cool. It's, it's, it, and there's, that's one of those things that, uh, that is well worth copying because mm-hmm. then the player is like, ooh, they, get, they, they were there for the killing blow and they get, they fe- it feels rewarding mm-hmm. and cool. Yeah, you have, are, you're able to reward your player with a cool moment. You don't even have to give them treasure. They were just happy to be there. Yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's a really awesome time when you get to 
take narrative free reign, and some of your players are going to be more about it than others. Yeah, Not all sure. of them feel confident to take the limelight well, like that. Your shyer, more introverted players are probably going to be less predisposed to giving you detailed explanations of things because they don't want they don't want that much time in the spotlight. Right. They 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 kind of shy away from that that spotlight. So let them build up to it. Yeah, they'll get there. Uh, my last uh, note. Uh, for the, I, we could, I mean, we could talk about combat for a long time using coming up with more examples. But I think another thing, just to, as I mentioned earlier, terrain building. Uh, the more, if you are the GM, you're already doing a lot of work. I understand. You might be able to contract some of your players or other people to help you out. But if you can make, if you're playing with miniatures, have a more interesting looking battle map. You know, if you're playing online, it's a lot easier because you can download existing maps mm-hmm. and put them into Foundry or, uh, you know, what is it, uh, Roll20. Yeah. And then you've you've got a full color map and it's very immersive. It helps paint the picture for you. It's a crutch you can lean on or a scooter to ride, essentially, that you don't have to describe every bush because... There's a visual stimulus for the players. And if you're playing with physical miniatures on the table, if you can find time to make a crappy cardboard cutout of the castle battlements, do it. Because it's going to be better than the marker on the battle map. Yeah. Even if it's unpainted, just having that 3D object on the board, I think, really helps breathe life into the scene. Or if it's a rock you carved out of wood. Or if it's... Or- or if it's a boulder you carved out of wood and spray painted gray. Uh, with that, I think uh, I think that about wraps it up. You know, we've got big memorable moments where you let your players feel awesome, and that can be aided by the back and forth descriptions of uh, players describing what they want to do in detail, and you describing the outcome, and you just try to pour as much flavor into it as possible. Spice up your chicken and rice. <laughs> that said. Uh, thank you for joining us here at the Game Master Speakeasy. I've been Cody. And I'm Lance. And we hope that you get home safe. Uh, also, just as an addendum, if you have listened to this, please shoot us an email at Game Master, or specifically GMSpeakeasyOfficial at gmail.com because... We want to hear your questions, comments, concerns. We've already got tons of topic ideas, but we gladly read yours and if, if respond. Yours are, if yours are better, we'll just do yours instead. Yeah, exactly. I'm sure, I mean, we're just a couple of dudes, right? <laughs> we're just some dudes from the Midwest. And, and I'm sure statistically, right? Like, we're pretty average. Statistically, at least half of you are better than us. <laughs> probably right. be, probably just, got better ideas, just, too. <laughs> so let us read them here. That said, like I said before... Get home safe. See ya. Want to hear more from the record button? You can find us wherever you find podcasts, like Transistor, Stitcher, Spotify, and YouTube. To stay up to date on our releases, find us on Facebook at the Record Button Production Group and on Twitter at TRBPRODGRP. Or stop by our website at recordbuttongroup.com, where we have links to our merch and other shows such as Wasteland Active Radio and Why Did I Write This? Thank you for listening.